Thank you, Paul. It is good to be with you this morning. In fact, I would say for me, it is triply good to be with you this morning. First of all, it's always good to be here. Second of all, it's Easter Sunday. Third of all, I was supposed to be here last year, right here, preaching on Easter Sunday, but I wasn't. For the last few years, Paul Taylor, our host, and I have been trading off preaching on Easter Sunday, and it was my turn last year, but on Good Friday, I tested positive for COVID. So I handed my sermon off to Paul, and he did some magic with it for a day, and he ended up, pre he ended up preaching the Easter sermon last year, and the sermon was a little bit me and a little bit Paul, which raises the question, whose turn is it this year? Well, not long after that, Paul came to me and he said something like, in view of what happened last year, how would you like to preach, East, preach on Easter Sunday this year? And I said to him, he is risen. He is risen. I didn't say that, but that's what I felt. I felt uh, very strongly that I think the Lord's given us something today for us to deal with, and I'm very excited about it. So uh, my name is Scott Grant, and to be honest with you, I don't think that my name is very interesting. My first name is one syllable. My last name is one syllable. My middle name, Charles, is one syllable. I am Scott Charles Grant. I don't think that name is very interesting. Several years ago, before social media, my wife and I were traveling in Italy, and I sent emails back, and I signed them, Scotto Carlo Grantini. Now that's a name, that's an interesting name. Question, anyway, do you feel unknown? Do you feel as if no one really knows you? It's a common experience, you're not alone. Listen to C.S. Lewis, he says this, the sense that in this universe we are treated as strangers, the longing to be acknowledged, to meet with some response, to bridge some chasm that yawns between us and reality is part of our inconsolable secret. The longing to be known is part of our inconsolable secret. Today, we're going to meet a woman who felt unknown. She felt that no one really knew her. She lived in the first century. She shows up in the Gospels. And we don't know that much about her, but it's not that difficult to fill in some of the gaps based on the descriptions and, and stories within the New Testament itself. So her name was Mary. She came from a, a village by the name of Magdala. So people called her Mary Magdalene. And uh, the way people spoke her name was not really endearing to her oftentimes. Uh, they when they spoke her name, they made her feel as if something was wrong with her. And indeed, something was wrong with her. That was that she was possessed by seven demons. Not one demon, but seven demons, evil spirits. Now in her world, the number seven meant the number of completeness. But to be possessed by seven demons? And they exerted a certain measure of control over her. And uh, they controlled, to some extent, what she said and what she did. In fact, uh, from what we know about the New Testament, it's likely that there were times when she couldn't speak at all. Not that anyone wanted to listen to her when she did speak. Uh, people tended to keep their distance from her. She felt isolated. 
She felt alone. She felt invisible. She felt unknown, that no one really knew her. Then she met him. Or should I say, he met her. Unlike others, he didn't distance himself from her. In fact, he approached her. But it's unlikely that she trusted him at first because, well, why should she trust anyone? And the Gospels don't tell us exactly how this happened in her case, but if her case is like others in the Gospels, it went something like this. The man approached her and spoke not to her, but to the demons that possessed her. And when he did so, the demons left. The evil spirits that tortured her were gone. Jesus, that was the man's name. Jesus of Nazareth. He was a rabbi and he had a following. He had 12 disciples, all men, but Mary began following him as well as in addition to many other women in Galilee. So they followed him everywhere. Now you could imagine that this was a very important thing for these particular women because in the, the world of rabbis, uh, they would have male disciples, but this particular rabbi, Jesus, allowed women to sit at his feet and that was the posture of a disciple. So Mary called him rabbi or the rabbi or even rabboni, which means my rabbi. So Jesus broke with convention and this would have been very important to Mary and other women. So Mary heard him teach, followed him all around and heard him teach. And she would have heard this in John chapter 10 when Jesus is speaking of himself as the good shepherd. Here's what he says. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. He calls his own sheep by name. Now, don't you think, given what we know about Mary, that this was important to her? Her rabbi was speaking to her and speaking to her by name. And I can't imagine that she ever got tired of hearing Jesus speak her name. Then later in John chapter 10, Jesus says this, John chapter 10, verse 17. For this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Well, this was confusing to the disciples and no doubt it was confusing to Mary as well. What did he mean? I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Lots of people loved Jesus like Mary, but he also managed to make some enemies and very many enemies in high places. And when Jesus and the disciples and his followers, including the women, came to Jerusalem, many among them were hoping that Jesus would be enthroned in Jerusalem. But the leaders of Israel convinced the Romans who occupied their land to execute him, to crucify him. And crucifixion was this brutal, shameful form of execution that the Romans used to keep their subjects in line. So Jesus was crucified. We remembered that on Good Friday. Mary was there and some other women looking on as Jesus was crucified. She must have been horrified. She couldn't believe it. And she watched as they nailed as they hammered the nails into the hands of Jesus and the feet of Jesus. And she watched as he bled. She watched as he struggled to breathe. And she watched him die. A man took his body, 
wrapped it in linen and placed it in a tomb and rolled this great stone against it. And Mary sat opposite the tomb. She watched it all. And she heard that great stone slam against the entrance of the tomb. Rabboni, her rabbi, was gone. She left the tomb. That was Friday evening. On Saturday, the Sabbath, she rested according to the commandment. Then came Sunday. As soon as dawn broke on Sunday, the first day of the week, I, along with two of the other women, made my way to the tomb to anoint the rabbi's body with spices. When I arrived, I noticed that the stone covering the tomb had been removed. What happened? I was beside myself. I ran to Peter and John, two of the rabbi's disciples, and told them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter and John raced to the tomb. I returned also, but by the time I got there, Peter and John had left. I stood outside the tomb, weeping. I peered into the tomb, looking for answers. The tomb wasn't empty. I saw two angels in white sitting where the body of the rabbi had been lying, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to me, woman, why are you weeping? I answered, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. I turned around and saw a man, the gardener I supposed. He asked me the same question the angels asked me, woman, why are you weeping? Then he asked a second question. Whom are you seeking? Whom was I seeking? Well, it was more of a what than a whom. I was looking for a corpse. The second question made me think that he knew why I was weeping and what I was seeking, that maybe he knew where the body of the rabbi was and that maybe he was the one who took it. I said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. I desperately wanted to honor the rabbi by caring for his body. I turned away. I heard him say, Mary. He knew my name. And when he spoke my name, I knew I had heard that voice before. Just seconds before, I was looking right at him and I was listening to him intently. But I recognized neither his face nor his voice. He called me woman, and I didn't know who was speaking to me. Then, he spoke my name. One word, two syllables, Mary. And when he spoke my name, even though I wasn't even looking at him, I knew who it was. I remembered what the rabbi said about the shepherd of the sheep. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Immediately, I turned back to him. Rabboni, it was Jesus, alive from the dead. 
I reached out for him. Now that I had him back, I wanted to cling to him and never let him go. I didn't want to lose him again. But he told me, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. I couldn't cling to him then, but he made me believe that I could cling to him in some way after he ascended to the Father. I had the sense that if I let him go, I would get him back in a new and better way. For the third time, I left the tomb. When I left on Friday evening, after watching his body being placed in the tomb, I was bent over in grief. When I left on Sunday morning, after seeing that the stone had been removed, I was horrified. When I left later Sunday, after meeting the rabbi alive from the dead, I was delirious with joy. Earlier in my life, sometimes I couldn't speak at all, and no one wanted to listen to me, even when I could speak. Now, the rabbi instructed me to speak. He commissioned me to go to his brothers, his disciples, and speak. And he gave me words to say, the greatest words ever to be spoken up to that point in history. I came to the disciples and announced, I have seen the Lord. I told them that he said, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. I could go on. As John says in his gospel, if everything Jesus did were recorded, the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. If I could tell you only one thing that the rabbi did, and I think you'll know what I mean, I would tell you this. He spoke my name. Well, not many of us are possessed by one demon, let alone seven demons, but have you ever wondered whether there's something wrong with you? Has it ever felt as if something somehow has control of you? Have you ever done what you shouldn't do, say what you shouldn't say? The scriptures tell us that we have rebelled against God, that we have chosen to obey ourselves rather than him, that we are guilty of high treason against God. Some of us have rebelled so much that we have thought God right out of existence. Indeed, there's something wrong with us. Nevertheless, Jesus is not put off. Jesus moves toward us. There's something wrong with us, but Jesus moves toward us. G.K. Chesterton, the great British writer of the first half of the 20th century, was once asked by an editor to write a magazine article uh, based on what's wrong with the universe. And he sent back a reply that only took one sentence and two words, I am. What's wrong with the universe? I am. Nevertheless, Jesus is not put off. He moves toward us. He lays down his life. What does that mean? It means he lays down his life for us. It means he goes to the cross for us. He means, it means that he suffers for us. He absorbs the wrath of God 
so that we could know God, so that we could be reconciled to God, so that we can know God. When Jesus was on the cross and he was hanging on the cross, it wasn't enough for his enemies simply to put him there. It was also necessary for them to mock him. And they said to him, if you are the son of God, come down from the cross and we'll believe in you. To them, of course, the suggestion was a joke, but to Jesus, it was as real as the nails in his hands. He could have called on more than 12 legions of angels, but he didn't. Instead, he stayed on the cross. He stayed for those who mocked him. He stayed for us. He stayed for you. Those voices that urged him, that implored him to come down from the cross, he was able to resist those in obedience to the Father and in love for us. He stayed on the cross. Jesus laid down his life that he may take it up again. What does that mean? It means that he rose from the dead. It means because he rose from the dead that those who follow Jesus will also rise from the dead to enjoy God, to enjoy Jesus, to serve God and Jesus forever in the new creation, which is coming, the new and eternal creation. And that is what awaits all of us who follow the Lord Jesus Christ. As C.S. Lewis says, the door on which we have been knocking all our lives will open at last. And when that door opens, we will see Jesus alive from the dead. I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Jesus stays on the cross, but he doesn't stay in the tomb. He is risen. He is risen. May I say to you, if you do not yet know the Lord Jesus Christ, Easter Sunday is a great time to turn from everything else and to turn to Jesus and invite Jesus into your life so that your sins can be forgiven and that you can know God beginning now and extending on into eternity. People around here, they tend to talk about changing the world. Let me tell you a little secret that the scriptures whisper. They're aiming too low. People who simply want to change the world don't want enough. Because when you start following Jesus, what you do and what you say and now what you pray has an eternal impact. Think of Mary. Her words I have seen the Lord will echo forever and be heard forever. He ascended to the Father as Mary announced. What does that mean? It means after he rose from the dead, he ascended to his heavenly throne and from his heavenly throne, he rules over the entire earth, but also from his heavenly throne, he sent his Holy Spirit to be with us in a new and better way in a everlasting way, in an ever-present way, which means that Jesus is here with us right now in this room. Alive from the dead, Jesus is here with us right now in this room. And I wonder, can you recognize him? At first, Mary didn't recognize him. Have things happened in your life that you can't explain? 
Maybe those things indicate the presence of Jesus. Perhaps he's been involved in your life for many years now. You just haven't recognized him yet. Think of Mary. She came to the tomb on Easter Sunday. She expected the stone to be exactly where she saw it on Friday, but it wasn't there. It had been moved out of the way by an angel. And the dislocated stone indicated the presence of Jesus. She just didn't know it yet. Maybe the time has come for you to meet Jesus, for you to meet the rabbi that Mary loved because he's here and he wants to forgive you and he loves you. If you're weeping, why are you weeping? Jesus knows. If you are seeking, what are you seeking? Jesus knows. He knows you and he understands you better than you know and understand yourself. Could it be if you are seeking that it is more of a whom than a what? Could it be that you are seeking someone who knows you even better than yourself? And that's Jesus. Maybe you're seeking Jesus. And it is Jesus who bridges this chasm that yawns between us and reality. He died. He rose. He's here. And he speaks. What does he say? I don't think my name is very interesting. Maybe deep down, I'm worried that I'm not very interesting. I know that when I was younger, I wanted to be more interesting and tried to make myself more interesting. Jesus speaks. What does he say? Your name. He's here, and Jesus speaks your name. Can you hear him speak your name? He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. Now, we love to study the word and to preach the word around here, but we also love to pray. And uh, in just a minute, I'm going to pray. And I'd like to invite you, as I do, if you feel comfortable, just to close your eyes. And close your eyes and maybe just use your imagination a little bit. The scriptures give us these great stories. There's these great stories in the New Testament. We have this great story about Mary Magdalene. And uh, the scriptures invite us to imagine us there and imagine us on the scene. So use your imagination, if you will, and just hear, hear in your mind's ear, hear Jesus speak your name. Jesus speaks your name. Heavenly Father, what a great day. Uh, Lord Jesus, you are a great Savior. You love us so much. Would we be able to hear you speak our name today and moving forward as well? We pray in your name. Amen.